Good morning. When Steve said uh, Katie and Jennifer and Josh, I thought, I missed rehearsal. Uh, you guys did a great job. Great song, and thank you guys for leading worship this morning. I'd like to give a special thanks to Bruce for preaching for me last week. And I've heard a lot of great things about last week's service. And so, uh, yeah, it was great. We got to meet the baby. And I totally forgot to do this. I should have put a picture of Carrie and I with our niece. And I can continue to thank everybody for your prayers for Mila. She's doing really well. Um, she's about six weeks old as of tomorrow, right, Carrie? And uh, yeah, it's just it's miraculous, uh, this, this little girl. And so it's great to see her and, and family. Um, by the way, if you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Esther chapter 8, that's where we'll begin this morning. Also, I want to mention, Carrie and I set our, our uh, annual Christmas card in the back if you'd like to pick up one of those. The biggest reason why I prefer to do it that way, last year at our Christmas party, which unfortunately we can, couldn't do this year, we handed out our Christmas card to people who came. Um, I'm so afraid of us mailing them to everybody and through the post office or somehow someone not getting that and thinking every other person got one. And that's just, that's a, it keeps me up at night. And so we have it here if you'd like to pick one up. And uh, if you don't want one, um, but I've got too, too many pictures of me already, so I get it. Uh, so yeah, Esther chapter 8 will be in chapters 8, 9, and 10, finishing up our study in the book of Esther, our Christmas time series. And it's hard to believe, but today is the final Sunday before Christmas. And uh, it's simultaneously been a fast and slow year, it feels like. At least that's how it feels for me. So Esther chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. On that day... King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was to her. And the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther sent Mordecai over the house of Haman. Then Esther spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agatite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. When the king held out the gold scepter to Esther, Esther rose and stood before the king. And she said, If it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, and I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agatite, the son of Hamaditha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have, given, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. The king's scribes were summoned at the time. 
in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day. And an edict was written according to all that Mordecai commanded concerning the Jews, to the satraps and the governors and the officials of the provinces from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces, to each province in its own script and to each people in its own language, and also to the Jews in their script and their language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed it with the king's signet ring. Then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people of any province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. On one day, throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adair, a copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all peoples. And the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers, mounted on their swift horses that were used in the king's service, rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Susa the citadel. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white, with a great golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple, and the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. The Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews, for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. Now, in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adair, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on that very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. All the officials of the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them. For Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased to those who hated them. In Susa, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men, and also killed Perishdatha, and Delphon, and Asapha, and Poratha, and Adaliah, and Eridatha, and Parmastha, and Arasai, and Aradai, and Vaistha. The ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamaditha, the enemy of the Jews, but they laid no hand on the plunder. That very day, the number of those killed in Susa the citadel reported to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, In Susa the citadel, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men, and also the ten sons of Haman. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now, what is your wish? It shall be granted you. 
And what further is your request? It shall be fulfilled. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow also to do according to this day's edict, and let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. A decree was issued in Susa, and the ten sons of Haman were hanged. The Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the fourteenth day of the month of Adair, and they killed three hundred men in Susa, but they laid no hands on the plunder. Now, the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them. But they laid no hands on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adair. On the 14th day they rested and made that day a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 13th day and on the 14th day and rested on the 15th day making that a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who lived in the rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adair as a day for gladness and feasting, as a holiday, and as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adair and also the 15th day of the same year by year as the day of which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday. That they should make the days of feasting and gladness days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agatite, the son of Hamaditha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them. And had cast pur, that is, cast lots, to crush and destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews, should return on his own head, and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim, after the term Pur. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter, and of what they faced in this matter, and of what happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring, and all who joined them, that without fail, they should keep these two days and according to what was written at the time appointed every year, that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fail or fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Then Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihel, and Mordecai the Jew gave full written authority confirming the second letter about Purim. The letters were sent to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus in words of peace and truth that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them. And as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their feasts and their lamenting. The command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea, and all the acts of his power and might, 
and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him as they were not were written in the book of the chronicles of the king of Media and Persia. For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his peoples and spoke peace to all his people. Merry Christmas. We'll get to the passage in a moment. Again, I realize that that might not jump out at us as being super Christmassy, but again, I think that there's a lot of themes in the book of Esther that relate to the Christmas story. But before we get into our study of the passage, would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Lord, we continue to praise you in this Christmas season that it's a time when we remember that the Prince of Peace came into the world. He came into a dark world to bring light, into a dead world to bring life, into a fallen world to bring the kingdom of heaven. Father, in spite of the struggles we've all faced this year, in spite of the personal and family struggles we might be going through right now, May we not be weighed down by the stresses of life and of circumstances, but let us rejoice in Christ our Lord. And may we continue to praise you for your deliverance of our church family through this year as we've faced this virus, and we continue to pray for your hand of protection. Lord, we continue to pray for people in town who are currently afflicted. We pray for our friend Pastor Trey, who's battling COVID. Lord, we're thankful for Good reports from him and his health. And just want to continue that he feel better and better and that it not spread among his family. Lord, we continue to pray for Barb and for her treatment with cancer. Lord, we pray for your blessings for the doctors who are taking care of her. Lord, we also pray for her husband and her family. I'm sure that this is a very difficult Christmas time. Lord, we pray for your nearness to them. And we rejoice in their hope and their trust in you. And Lord, may that be the thing that carries them in this journey and in these treatments. Lord, we also pray for Charlie Alt. We rejoice that he's back at his, at his residence today. And I want to just pray for a speedy recovery for him and for his health. Lord, we continue to pray for Mark Cole and his family. Lord, in the loss of his mother. Lord, we pray especially for Mark's dad. And the tremendous loss that he has gone through in losing his wife. Lord, we pray for your nearness to them. Lord, we pray that you would bless our time in your word today. And that we be pointed to you and your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. I also failed to mention in the beginning, Mark wanted to just thank everybody. Uh, He texted me that to, to thank everybody for reaching out for cards and gifts that people have sent to him and his family. And that they just really appreciate that. Please continue to pray for them. So we're concluding the book of Esther this morning. And the plan for today is to look at the story and then close with a few comments about this passage that we've just read. 
I keep talking about the major events in the book of Esther being similar to the structure of a play. Two weeks ago, when I last preached, was Act 3, where we reached the climax of the story, where Haman is taken off to the gallows to be executed. This week, the passage covers Acts 4 and 5, the falling action and the resolution of the story. As we said a couple of weeks ago, where Haman is executed, well, that's the climax of the story. That's not the end of the story. And it's also not the end of the drama in the book of Esther. Because as we begin today's passage, there's actually a very significant matter that's still on the table. Even though Haman is dead, the decree which had been issued to kill the Jewish people was still in effect. In chapter 8, Esther and Mordecai set themselves to trying to reverse that decision because, again, Haman's edict is still the law. Chapter 8 begins. We see the spoils of victory going to Esther and Mordecai. We see Esther is given Haman's residence We see Mordecai is given Haman's signet ring, which could be used to issue royal decrees. So a very significant thing to have. Beginning in chapter 8, verse 5. They say, if it please the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, and if I am pleasing in his eyes, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agatite, the son of Hamaditha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who are in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming to my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? So that's Esther, specifically, pleading to the king to reverse this or to do something to save her kindred, the Jewish people. Again, as we've studied the book of Esther, there's never really been any indication in this story that the king himself had any animus against the Jewish people. Really, the king is a pretty bad leader who's impressionable, easily swayed, and had been willing to go along with Haman. Esther, again, reminds her husband that the Jewish people are her people, and that she can't bear to see the destruction on her religious kindred. But in verse 8, the king tells Esther, You may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king and seal it with the king's ring, for an edict written in the name of the king and sealed with the king's ring cannot be revoked. And that brings us to two sort of issues in this situation. First, the king is willing to work with Esther. But it's not so simple as just saying, The previous edict, never mind about that one. Because it has already gone out in the name of the king, and that is the absolute law. And so the rest of chapter 8 revolves around the process of a new order being given throughout the Persian Empire, which basically allows for the Jewish people to protect and to defend themselves against aggressors. Give a little sense of what that looks like in this chapter. Beginning in verse 11. 
The king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives. Again, so he's not undoing the previous order, but he's allowing the Jewish people for self-defense. To destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, children and women included, and to plunder their goods. On one day, so it's not just carte blanche whenever they want to, but it's on the specific day when Haman had set forth his plan of genocide. On one day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adair, a copy of what was written was to be issued as a decree in every province, being publicly displayed to all peoples, and the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So again, they're not so much revoking the previous order, but they're issuing a counteracting law. This does not, again, give the Jewish people just free reign on doing whatever they want. It's not allowing for anarchy. It doesn't give them permission to go on the offensive and be the aggressor. But it does give them the right to defend themselves. And with that, we come to chapter 9. And at the beginning of chapter 9, we begin to see the fruit of this decree. That there is, in fact, going to be bloodshed in the empire. Because there are still people seeking to, to carry out Haman's plans. But we also see that the Israelites are getting some help from various Persian government officials. Even though it was allowed, verse 10 of chapter 9 mentions that the Jews did not plunder their aggressors. In other words, while there was combat and conflict, they are not in this for personal gain. That it is a conflict where they are trying to defend themselves. We do see that vengeance would be extended to the sons of Haman in order to quell further plots against the Jewish people. And so the chapter tells us that his sons would be executed. Now, the world has fallen. Were the deaths of Haman's sons justified? I would say no. But it was part of the cultural practices of the time. Again, not everything that's ever mentioned in the Bible is an endorsement. But the major takeaway from this scene is that the Jewish people are saved. And again, the world is fallen. And even in the process of that, there is bloodshed and death that happens, unfortunately. And Esther makes a request in the aftermath of all of this for celebrating their salvation. And that's how chapter 9 ends with the creation of the Feast of Purim. Beginning in verse 20. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adair and also the 15th day of the same year by year, as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday, that they should make the that they should make them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. Purim 
is a celebratory holiday of remembrance. Now, we've talked before about the Jewish holy days or holidays. They're outlined in the Pentateuch. Purim is not one of the high holy days in the Jewish calendar. It's not like the Jewish New Year or Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, or the Passover feast. And in some ways, Purim is more significant nationally than religiously. Because it's less sacred, it's a pretty big celebration. It's almost, in reading about Purim, it almost feels like they made a holiday where they took all of the best elements of other holidays and just sort of threw them together into one big holiday, at least in how it's celebrated today. People eat, kids dress up in costumes and get candy. It's just, you know, it's a big celebration. But again, it doesn't have the sacredness to it that a day like the Day of Atonement has, which is really more solemn and somber. Now the name Purim, as chapter 9 winds down, it gives us the reason for why the holiday is called Purim. For Haman the Agatite, the son of Hamaditha, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pur, that is, cast lots, to crush and to destroy them. And then it goes on to say in verse 26, Therefore they called these days Purim after the term pur. Pur is the word for lots. Haman had been a superstitious man and had cast lots in determining the time where he sought destruction against the Jewish people. And in another ironic twist, to remember that day, they named the holiday celebration after the lots themselves that had been cast for their destruction. And then we come to chapter 10, the final chapter of this book. And it has an interesting, seemingly unrelated conclusion to the book of Esther. It's just three verses. And again, it can at first glance appear not to have anything to do with the story. It doesn't go on to say so much that, and they all lived happily ever after. It says, King Ahasuerus imposed tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea, and all the acts of his power and might, and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai, to which the king advanced him. Are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude, multitude of his brothers. For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. So at the end of the book, and at the end of the story of a plot of genocide against the entire Jewish people, we see the story ending on a relatively peaceful almost mundane note. It mentions the king and taxes. It's a reminder that the earthly king still does have power and influence over the lives of the Jewish people and that they are continuing to go on and to live in a world that is still fallen and influenced by their society. And then the book simply ends by talking of Mordecai being a high-ranking official and advocating for his people. And that's it. 
Interestingly, in the Bible, the next book that comes after Esther is the book of Job, another book that deals with themes of suffering and trusting in God. But this is where Esther concludes. Now, as we've been in Esther this Christmas season, one of the things that we've done each week is try to talk about themes in the book of Esther that we see in the Christmas story. And part of the reason why we can do that is because everything in the Bible ultimately points to Jesus. And so as we conclude our study in the book of Esther, I want to focus on two things in this week's passage as we celebrate this final Sunday before Christmas. First, the ultimate result of the book of Esther is the salvation of the Jewish people. Haman had used his authority to order genocide of the Jews throughout the Persian Empire. But in God's divine providence, this plan could not ultimately succeed. The salvation of Israel in the book of Esther points, points to the gospel and the salvation that Jesus came to bring into the world. In Esther, the Jews faced destruction because of hatred. Jesus came into a world that was dead because of sin. In the book of Esther, we see lives saved. And through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we see eternal life given. Both of these books, both the book of Esther and the gospel story, the gospel in which we believe, are of God's saving work for his people. Because the Jewish people are saved in the book of Esther, that also meant that the family line itself which led to Christ was saved and preserved. It's interesting in the book of Esther, you know, a lot of what's going on is sort of in the inner courts of the Persian palace. And you think about Jesus' ancestors who were alive at that time. They had really nothing to do with working out what would be the salvation for the Israelites at that time. It was totally out of their control. But it's the same God who's working on their behalf. The second point to focus on in this closing scenes of the book of Esther is the Feast of Purim itself. With Many of the holidays in the Jewish calendar, a significant theme is remembrance. In our study in the book of John, the Gospel of John, we've talked quite a bit about the Feast of Booths. Part of the purpose of the Feast of Booths is remembering God's provision for the Israelites during their desert wanderings. Passover calls for remembering God freeing the people from slavery in Egypt. And the Lord's Supper that we do calls us to remember what Christ has done for us. Hanukkah, which actually just wrapped up this week, it remembers the Maccabees' victory over the Syrians in the intertestamental period. And it also calls Jewish people to remember a miracle of the temple lamp with one day's supply of oil being lit for eight days. 
remembering that. And Purim remembers God's deliverance of the Israelites from the Persian genocide. Remembering is such an important command in the Bible. It's such an important activity in our own spiritual lives. Remembering God's goodness. Remembering his gospel. Remembering that Jesus is the light who came into a dark world. Remembering the love that God has for us. Remembering God's provision for us. That he has a plan for us and for our world. That he is in control and that he is sovereign. That he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Remembering who God is and what he has done and what he has promised and what he is doing. We're called to continually remember because we so often forget. 2020. There's been a lot of times this year where we could forget. Where we could forget God's goodness. Or remember that God is all we need. Where we could forget God's faithfulness. Or remember that he is still God and still mighty and still on the throne. And I don't say that to be flippant. Because 2020 has been a rough year. All of us have had years in our lives that were rough years. But it's pretty rare that all of us have a rough year all at the same time. And some of us have had this year tougher than others. I think we've all had a rough year. But we all probably also know people who've gotten hit harder than we have. Some of us have lost people very dear to us this year. Perhaps with COVID. But it could be a host of other things. It's a fallen world where we see death and we lose loved ones tragically. I know that there are some of us who have gone through personal struggles this year. Or injuries or physical struggles this year. Again, it's been a rough year. And in that, if you're not actively remembering God and who he is and how good he is, it can be so easy to forget all of that. And remembering is an important theme at Christmas time. Because Christmas calls us to look back. Christmas calls us to remember a specific event in human history. Namely, the Christ coming into the world. Emmanuel, God with us. The word who became flesh and dwelt among us. But not just that. Because in that, we are called to remember the gospel itself. Yes, to remember that he came into the world, but also to remember why he came. What he did. The life he lived and the death that he died For the redemption of sinners. It's easy to forget. But Christmas is a time of year where we can remember the truth that God does love us. He loves the world. And he is good. And so that is my hope for all of us this Christmas. That we remember. That we remember that in a dark world. In a world where there were oppressive rulers and a time where God could seem very distant that Jesus came into that world and that he is our savior today. May we remember 
his incarnation. But may we also remember his crucifixion. That the reason why our fallen world does have hope is because that baby was born. And that he lived a sinless life. And that he went to the cross. And that he died for all who believe in him. So that through all of this darkness and destruction and wickedness and evil and life, we could know the Lord of light. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a good God. And may we remember, Lord, this week as we might have changes in our celebrations, as things might be different, Lord, We pray that we remember that your son came into our world so that we could be with him. And may we rejoice in that above all else. In Jesus' name, amen.